Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you once again. Plenty to discuss this week, of course, as releases and news always seems to come out the week of PRI. And as we sit here on Thursday, December 8th in the evening to record this week's episode, plenty of news has dropped just in the last seven days. Good evening, Justin. Hello, friend. Wow, okay. Thanks, Jim Nance. (laughs) (laughs) Tapping into my inner Jim Nance. Yes, yes. So plenty to get to this week. We have uh, really four kind of headline stories starting off the news that dropped today as we record. IndyCar announcing a docuseries, 100 Days to Indy. Details on that. Plus, IndyCar going to up their marketing efforts. That also came out uh, this morning. On the downside... IndyCar has bailed on its 2.4 liter engine um, specification set to begin 2024. It'll instead stick with the 2.2 liter current engines uh, and add the hybrid units as part of the engines for 2024. And also, we have a little bit of clarity on some more silly season stuff. Marcus Armstrong set to run the number 11 Chip Ganassi racing car that replaces the Jimmy Johnson car, but just for road and street course races, two names heavily linked to driving the ovals. We'll get to that as well. So plenty to discuss this evening. We start with, I'd say the news of the day, the news of the week, perhaps what the, the news of the off season so far. Uh, yes, sure. Because it's something that's been talked about for so, so long. So 100 days to Indy which is the docu-series. It'll be a six-part series, 60-minute episodes. Here's the part where I think everyone rolled their eyes, but I feel bullish on this. I know you do not. I rolled my eyes. I I feel bullish. I'm coming around to it, but I rolled my eyes. So it'll air on the CW, which is a network, and I get that it's the the lowest network as far as ratings go, but they have a much younger audience, as many people have pointed out on Twitter. Then also they'll have... Uh, re-airs package for Vice TV, which has very popular documentaries and docu-series. Uh, they do excellent work. They do, actually, yes. Very, very good work. I, I'm trying to think of like something, an example that I've watched on Vice. I always have seen like the the pieces on social media or on websites, and it's like, you know, a little, what, 5, 10, 15, 20-minute documentary on something very specific that's, that's interesting, but they're excellent at this kind of thing. So this is how it will work. They'll air the episodes starting in the spring 2023. The final episode will be around the 107th Indianapolis 500. Now, my understanding is the finale will air the week following the Indy 500. It'll be six episodes. There's not going to be like set dates. This will be in season. So it's Mm -hmm. not talking about last year. Not not like Drive to Survive. This is talking about this year. So I think that part is excellent. Uh They'll air on CW, which is again nationwide here in the US. And then Vice Media Group We'll do re-airs through their apps and social and digital channels. It'll be produced uh, by Patrick Diamond. He recently directed the PGA Tour's eight-part Netflix series on the 2022 season. He's won three Emmys in 2020 for his work on 24-7 Kelly Slater. That's a surfer, right? Yes. And then has worked on HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. All very good credentials, obviously. So... This series will focus on the build up to the Indy 500. Huh. Wonder why I've heard that idea Ooh, for a docu series. Yeah, we series. were talking about that. Yeah, that was your idea. Oh, you know. It just, I, I'm getting royalties. Don't you worry. 
Yeah. I'm no, sure I, they're I, coming. I think, to be clear, this was the clear and obvious option to do this. And I've seen a lot of people today be like, oh, typical IndyCar only doing it about the around the fi- the 500 and not the whole season. How many times have we said it, Caleb? The most dramatic part of the IndyCar season is in and around the Indianapolis 500. And I would have much rather seen maybe a six-part miniseries that focuses just on Indy and the lead-up or maybe the month of May. But this is a, a, a logical next step in terms of starting at the beginning of the season and going through May because you are focusing on the biggest race that you have and it's not even close. I, I think it is a natural decision and a common sense decision to focus your um, your efforts in terms of a streaming series on your most visible event, your most high profile event, your most exciting event. And when you're selling cars and speed and all that, you're not going to talk about going to mid Ohio and the excitement and, and you're just not. And so I like this format. I'm not bullish on it being on the CW, but that shows the interest or lack thereof in who wanted this thing. And I'm wondering just how much IndyCar is financing it. Is this the CW and Vice paying for this? Or is it IndyCar trying to find a willing partner to broadcast it over the air and maybe buying the time or something to that effect? So that, that'll be interesting to me, but I, I hope, hope, hope it works the way it's it's purpose to when it initially was announced or leaked out and I, I heard it was on the CW app, that was a killer to me. But the fact that it's over the air and it'll be on Vice, I think that's those are steps in the right direction. I think for me with this, and Nathan Brown had a couple of very interesting nuggets, not only in his story on IndyStar.com, but also uh, on Twitter regarding this. First off, Nextstar Media owns 75% of the CW. And that includes 200 local broadcast stations that reach nearly 70% of U.S. households. That's what he has in this story. And Sean Compton, who is Nextstar's president of networks, is an indie native. He's been to more than 30 Indy 500s himself. So there's the tie-in. So that's a positive. They went to NBC. NBC was essentially not interested. You found another connection. And to be honest, in my opinion, it's smarter to get away from NBC because you already have IndyCar fans right. know that races are on NBC and Peacock, okay? And then I guess you throw in USA Network for, for a couple as well. But that that's your home for IndyCar races, practice, qualifying, etc. You get a, right. another platform. That means you're reaching another audience. You're reaching different people. Also, the critical part between the CW, which is geared toward not even millennials. It's geared toward Gen Z with their shows. Yeah. I was looking at, at their show lineup. I'd heard of a few, but like the shows that they have are popular with There's, Gen Z. Like Riverdale is very popular yes. with the younger audience. And some superhero stuff. Like I Correct. don't know if it's DC or Marvel, uh, but have shows on there. They have a Superman type show. Yeah, the it's Flash Superman and Lois or something like still that. Still on, which was a big show. Yeah. So the key was for me is to get away from your core audience. And that's why I was like initially when it was going to be on the CW um streaming series or streaming platform it made no sense because nobody's going to stumble upon it on cw stream but people can fall upon it on cw over there and vice so it serves that purpose look it's not the perfect solution but anybody that thought that the, that 
an IndyCar scripted ser- unscripted series was going to be on Netflix or Amazon in mind because there's just IndyCar's not that big to fall into those markets. And if they were going to be on Netflix or something like that, you can bet your ass that they were. And so anybody who thought of truly understanding where IndyCar is in the pantheon of sport and entertainment. So IndyCar took the best offer they possibly could to get something out there. It should, should be well-produced. And I hope it doesn't treat people like idiots. I think what, what drive to survive does is it's not afraid to take newbie fans and throw them in the deep end and have to swim and figure stuff out and learn formula one. And, uh, as it goes, I don't want uh, a 30 minutes of an episode talking about alternate tires or the two different compounds. You can't treat people like they're stupid. And I think that's what NBC does on some of their broadcasts is it treats people like they're tuning into their first ever IndyCar event. And to be fair, the strategy, at least as far as network goes, is to do that just because you have casual viewers. But when you think about it, the IndyCar audience is essentially all diehard viewers. There's really no reason to do that. Yeah. And my thing is have some respect for your viewers and think, hey, if they don't understand something, maybe that'll pique their interest into doing some research and going to IndyCar.com or all that. Don't be like, well, we just have to dumb everything down for the for the newbies that are watching because then it annoys your core fan base. And I think there's something to be said. Look, when I started watching Formula One, and it wasn't that long until I started getting into Formula One, I didn't know there were three different tire compounds that people could use in the dry. But you know what? I figured it out. They didn't have to break it down to me like I'm seven years old. But if you invest in something and you're interested in something, you do more research on it and you figure it out. And I think that's what I hope with this series. I hope it's not, hey, this is Elio Castroneves. He's from Brazil. He's won four Indianapolis 500s. I hope it's four. not the basic stuff. Elio? Oh, yeah, four. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I, I lost my Excuse train me? What, what year is this? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm already talking about results from 2023 here. So, you know, I, I just... And, and, and you're right, he's won myself. five, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I hope it's not that basic stuff. And I think we saw, saw that with IndyCar 36, and it was basic and, and all that stuff. I want to hit the ground running. I want to say, here's St. Pete. This is what's going on at St. Pete and cover it that way and not holding people's hand through six hours of this thing and, and, and treating them like they're amateurs, like they can't do some research whatsoever. So I really hope it goes in depth in the series and it's drivers and it's teams and shows us drama and stuff behind the scenes that we don't get and don't see and don't hear about. That's how you win over uh, people because Drive to Survive in the end sold drama, and IndyCar doesn't have the drama that Drive to Survive has, but with the Indianapolis 500 and making the Indy 500 and preparing for the Indianapolis 500, there's drama and pressure there, and I hope they magnify it with this series. So again, it'll start with coverage. I'm sure the first episode will include spring training and maybe first race, because there's a lot more than six weeks between St. Pete and after the Indy 500. So this will be spaced out, and then it'll essentially be appointment tv because there's no set schedule for it it's not like a weekly release kind of thing. which i hope i hope they I, can I understand that, that out well enough i hope it's not like okay the first episode comes out at nine o'clock on a monday and then the second episode's three weeks later at 10 30 on a thursday like you have to have some 
continuity for this thing when it comes out. So I hope they realize that and can't just pepper it during open slots of the CW where they don't have any other programming. I hope it's not that case. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the, the one concern. And the other positive, so I talked about the Next Star affiliation. So in Fort Wayne, uh, Wayne TV, which is a CBS affiliate, owned by Next Star, so they also would have the CW, right? They own the CW? I don't know. I believe so. And in uh, Indianapolis, yeah. which TV, Channel 8, um, is the CW affiliate? I mean, these are... That's a well-known channel in India. You can find the CW is what we're saying. Yes. You may not be able to find Vice unless you have it, but you can find the CW. Everybody has a CW. Nathan Brown pointed this out, that CW and LA is KTLA. You've heard of KTLA, right? Channel 5 in Los Angeles. It's a major player in the market, especially with their morning news program. Nathan Brown's saying they're hosting either Joseph Newgarden or Elio or both from what I've been told to promote it this week. And, factor that in there's a picture that any car released on social media i believe this afternoon picture of elio and joseph newgarden on an indycar private jet clearly en route ah. to i don't know la perhaps perhaps so and elio Casanevas, who has indeed won four, four. indianapolis 500s contrary to what uh caleb thinks but yeah <laughs> you, we can't in, in my bubble and your bubble you're thinking cw i never watch that because i don't watch riverdale and i don't watch uh, Clint Kent and Lois or whatever and all these uh-huh. different shows but it's not a niche uh, station throughout the country you mentioned LA and other venues where the CW is a much more powerful force in LA it has its own news network right it's not like here same, same in Indy too yes so it, it's bigger than you think and it's bigger than I think when I think CW in Fort Wayne Indiana as opposed to the big cities yes large markets like LA Dallas, Indy, uh, I'm sure New York, like they all have a news operation on their CW channels. Right. And so, so it, it's a very big deal. And so you're just hoping that there's some consistency with the day and time that this is on, even if it's every third week on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, at least that's something as opposed to just being slotted in wherever the CW has an open slot over the course of three months or so. And this is a, the first kind of real big new win for Penske entertainment. I mean, they, they were able to keep NBC and and get that TV deal extended from the previous regime, NTT, Honda, Chevy, obviously they kept Firestone around, but that was hanging on to existing partners. As Nathan Brown points out, this is a, a new thing. Like, yes, they, they brought back Iowa, as he mentioned, Nashville, which had been in the works for years, but this is essentially the feather in the cap so far for Penske Entertainment as far as bringing something new to the table. And it's a step forward and a step in the right direction, and we're going to talk about it here shortly, of what IndyCar needs to do to get its product out more into the mainstream. And we're not talking about IndyCar doing what it needs to do to return to the quote-unquote glory days. We're talking about trying to keep pace in terms of forward momentum with NASCAR, with Formula One in terms of not being left behind in trying things and using different modes and avenues to promote your product and advertise it and market it. And IndyCar is woefully behind that. And this is a step in the right direction. And what we heard, Caleb, from Adam Stern here this morning as we record on Thursday, December 8th, is another step in that direction. Yes, and we'll get to that momentarily. 
as far as what's the future of this 100 Days to Indie, I, I mean, we don't have a release date beyond spring 2023. It could be six episodes. It could be extended for the full season. It's going to be there, all about there, ratings, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it's How many people tune in? All about ratings on TV. Obviously, people watching it on the streaming platforms. We shall see. As always, if there's interest, they will extend it. That's and here's the thing. How this works. Variety reported on it today. Mm-hmm. And Variety is is one of the biggest entertainment websites. I don't think they have a... Do they still have a magazine? Are they a trade magazine too or I what? I think but so. Well, you know who owns Variety, right? Is it NBC? Jay, uh, Jay Penske. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. <laughs> so, but the fact that Variety is reporting it with their... I don't even know how many followers they have on Twitter. Millions. And I go to variety.com to see different things. Uh, that that's big time to to have a platform like Variety reporting it. So we can scoff and and definitely trust me. I scoffed and my eyes rolled so far back that were they were I was, I was looking in my brain really when this initially came out. But there there really is a lot to like about this, and you just hope that people are receptive to it and it doesn't treat people like dullards and really gives us an intimate look at the sport that we don't see. You and I follow this this series. Our listeners follow this series. I want access and give us something that we don't see. And that will bring us in and will also bring in the casual fans as well. And having Vice Media as part of that, I feel like insurers will get that. So yeah. CW is for your, your Gen Z audience. Vice is for your millennial audience. These are the two age groups if you're IndyCar you really need to tap into because most IndyCar fans are over 50 which if you're an older IndyCar fan that's great but you also need younger fans to continue the the future and success of the sport long term and so I think this is a a step to try to attract a much younger audience and if you saw this announcement and thought you know CW like that's not Netflix it's like well it's it's this is not geared probably geared toward you or or Amazon or whatever. You know, this is a different way to do it. I feel bullish. I think you've kind of come around a little bit. A little bit. So we shall see how this plays out. But as you mentioned, this is a key thing as far as their marketing efforts. And Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal, uh, his story that came out, as we mentioned today, new ad campaigns and content partnerships, unscripted docuseries, a national PR and earned media effort, a new app, other digital efforts, influencer and sustainability strategies, uh, all a part of next year's plans for IndyCar. Some of the new creative will be debuted during IndyCar's preseason testing at the Thermal Club in Palm Springs in early February. So there you have it. I do like the, I, I like all those ideas. I like the idea of a new app. And there was something that we've saw a couple years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, it was two or so years ago about the next level, like telemetry and stuff like that for the 500 that was on the app. And I thought it was a tremendous resource. It made me want to pick up my phone and look at the app while watching the race. And I felt like there was something tangible there. If they could use that at every single race, uh, maybe that'll be a part of it, but this is a step in the right direction. How much is more and, and will they use it in the right way? Who knows? But at least they're identifying, they're recognizing the problem. They've taken the first step. They're like, they're addicts, they're an alcoholic, <laughs> and they've admitted they have a problem. And they're and, and this is like IndyCar checking into rehab, so to speak. They've admitted they have a problem, and they're taking the initial steps to rectify it. And, and that, at the very least, 
is good news for the series. Stern says they plan to significantly increase the marketing budget for next year. Obviously, no dollar amount shown to that. And, and some of the examples Stern cite as far as fan unrest criticism from some corners of the paddock in recent months. Obviously, you had IndyCar drivers participating in FP1s and F1, and there was no social media usage uh, of that. Um, also, drivers participating in the Rolex 24 next year. Nothing. Not, not a lot of promotion of that. That's, long, that's low-hanging fruit. That's merely a post on social media. And that's free. Right? It's free, right? I mean, maybe you have to put together a graphic or something, but seriously, you have somebody in a house to do that. And even just a retweet or a retweet with the eyeball emoji. I mean, that's something. It takes two seconds. It's easy. And you can still do like a paid social media campaign out of that, mind you. But as far as just posting, like this is a free way to do it. It was puzzling. They weren't promoting the crap out of those FP1s for right? Polo and Pato. Because I think there's an antiquated notion that F1 is a direct competitor of IndyCar, and that's just absurd to me. I don't think it, NASCAR is a direct competitor. F1 was promoting IndyCar on their website with like Colton Herta getting yeah. his test. And, you know, when Pato had his his run in FP1 and Polo, like they were promoting it. And you see, oh, IndyCar drivers are at Coda. They're going to show... All the IndyCar guys, you know, yeah, Marcus Erickson just, gets on the broadcast, Rossi, et cetera. And saw nothing at IndyCar. F1 ties, but like Marcus Erickson's going to be listed as, you know, Indy 500 winner, Alexander Rossi, Indy 500 winner. Like these are ways to get on F1 broadcast. And they, they, you, in, F1 was doing it, but IndyCar right. on, the, on the flip side, not taking it. You wonder of that. if the previous regime in marketing uh, was somebody that looked upon Formula One as an, a, a competitor and didn't want to give formula one any attention, even if it involved IndyCar drivers, because all of a sudden there's big changes being announced with that person, no longer with the company, at least up till the end of the year. But she's definitely not in any decision-making positions. Now he's merely an advisor, which basically means she's able to collect a check till the end of the year. Let's be honest. Yeah. So that's the updated marketing stuff. All right, let's talk about the downside. So the downside that came out this week, IndyCar had to scrap the 2.4 liter engine plan for 2024. The 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 engine formula. No more for 2024. Maybe by 2034. Yeah, we were supposed to have more horsepower, right? Plus hybrid. Well, I'm not now sure we're just about hybrid. more horsepower, but we're keeping the same engines, 2.2 liter twin turbo V6. So they have been around for a decade plus now since 2012. They will stay in place when they have the energy recovery systems, the hybrid unit starting in 2024. On one hand, they're keeping the hybrid unit. That's a positive. It would have been really bad for them to drop that. <laughs> On the other, there's no new engine development I would assume, yes, they make horsepower gains as the engines get tuned year after year. You, Although, you add horsepower. But we've heard that, too, out of out of both OEMs, that they've pretty much maxed the potential on these engines. Oh, how could you not? After a decade after, plus. De- de- they, they've learned all the tricks, right? There, there's, there's hardly anything to be gained uh, in terms of additional horsepower and speed with these engines. So you keep the hybrids. I think the part with all of this... That is concerning. And Marshall Pruitt has a great column on racer.com kind of talking about 
all of this going down. And look, it, it's disappointing. And to be clear, when this first came out, it felt like a sky is falling thing. And you read into it, it's like, okay, this is disappointing. It, the average fan, though, is not going to notice or care. Now, this would be a sky is falling thing if you went through it for Chevy and Honda in terms of, of financially. This decision to go to the 2.4 engine, liter engine, was made in the assumption that by 2024, you would have a third OEM. And IndyCar does not. And the frustrating thing with this with this issue is there's no one person or one entity to blame. No. Because what can you do? You, you can't blame IndyCar. IndyCar has done everything they possibly can to find another OEM, and yeah, nobody's it, bought in, right? It's rattled off. I mean, there is the little... I don't even know rendezvous with Ferrari that yeah. you know, we never really believe was going anywhere. Porsche, which we thought was really close. Obviously they had conversations with Toyota, Lamborghini, apparently even Hyundai. I, I mean, there yeah. are a lot of OEMs that they talked with. They just couldn't quite close the deal. It's the equivalent of the, the uh, Browns Jersey with all their starting quarterbacks. <laughs> it's basically a, 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 a racing shirt for IndyCar with all these manufacturers crossed out as the next one that's going to that come in the series. But IndyCar has done everything it possibly can. Unfortunately, two, two metrics are bringing it down. And we talked about this at length, Caleb, when we were texting back and forth when this came out, is there are two things that OEMs are interested in. Eyes on product. Yep. And the ability to take the technology from the race car onto the street. And you look at the different series that are gaining in OEMs or at least having multiple partners. You look at first formula one that sells itself. Yeah. Right. Eyes on, Eyes product. on product is massive. Yeah. Okay. Relevant tech. Massive. Rele- yeah. But even the relevant tech, maybe not as much as, as we'll talk about here in a second, but eyes on product. It's huge. You are at the pinnacle of motorsport. If you are an engine brand, or a company in Formula One, right? So that sells itself. You look at Cup and NASCAR. There's a lot of changeover between on track and on the road. Not as much as there used to be in stock cars because it used to be just stock cars. It used to be cars, but now they're not. But still, and Eyes on Product is still pretty big. Despite the the drop in attendance and watchability and, and Eyes on Product on TV, a lot of people still watch NASCAR. Yeah, NASCAR has rebounded here in yes. the last two, three years. I mean, it was at a lull for and, and trending downward. I feel like it's right. it more than leveled off. It's it's on an upswing. So you have those two, Formula One and Cup, that sell each other because sell themselves because of eyes on product. Then you talk about sports cars because people want to be saying, well, IMSA and sports cars are getting all these OEMs. Why can't IndyCar? The the direct relation between sports cars and road cars is probably the most similar in terms of major series uh, in motor racing. And also that's the, why. The, the cost to entry is so much lower. The hybrid technology. Or no, they don't, do they not yeah. have? They oh, have, yeah. Yeah, they have. They, like, that's, they've had that for years. That's the relevant stuff that is being put in your car and my car and the future in terms of hybrids and electrification and all that is the sports cars is going down that road. The only advantage any car has in that situation is that the the eyes on product very low for sports cars, but they have the they they don't need that because they have the most common denominators or common common threads between their engines and road engines, and that's why sports cars are so so popular right now is because all these engine manufacturers 
and car companies are seeing, man, we can do that in sports cars and a lot of that, then we can take the technology and put it into road cars. IndyCar has neither. They don't have enough eyes on product to make it, make it viable for OEMs and they don't have enough technology that it is directly impacting their road cars to make it viable like sports cars does. So those two big metrics IndyCar doesn't have and that's why they're struggling to find a third partner. And quite frankly, in my opinion, struggling to hold on to two at this point. Yes, I feel like they're very lucky to have Honda and Chevy as committed as they are because, I mean, it's... What's the gain for them too right now? Let's yeah. be honest. What what is the what is the gain for Honda and Chevy right now to be an IndyCar other than winning the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, there's not really an advantage outside of that. And and look, the the three OEM system, you have eight full-time entries per OEM, 24 25 car field. Look, that that works for everyone, and that's what they wanted. And I think the the curious part about Marshall's column is the comments by the HPD chief. And this was where I kind of raised my eyeballs and thought, man, IndyCar is lucky to have HPD, to have Chevy a part of it. Because David Salters, who is the HPD president, had this to say about everything. We're not here to make a racing series. We're here to promote through a racing series. We're not here to make the racing series. That's not our job. That's somebody else's job. We're here to support it, but only if it gives us something back. And we also have to show a return on investment and that needs to be people watching. And there's not enough people watching right now, but he's basically saying if they would have went forward with these new engines, effectively they were going to be losing their ass. Yes. And, And also the car count would drop considerably. Like the, the most they could do would be 12 each. So we'd be at 24. So we'd still lose three entries. And that's a different argument that I'll get to because I don't think that's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the Indianapolis 500 and there's no way you could get to 33. No. With no, those two. No shot. And, and, and running those engines. So basically Honda and Chevy, after trying, 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 went to IndyCar and be like, look, we don't have a third partner here for to help us carry this financial load. You're crazy if you think that we're going to to support X amount of cars in this series at this price, at this loss per engine lease with these new engines. So what are you going to do? And IndyCar was basically up against it and had to make a decision. And unfortunately, the decision was to drop the engine plan. But coming back to it, there's no one person that's responsible. There's not enough people watching. So we all kind of share responsibility in that, right? Um, you can say, well, IndyCar hasn't put enough, a dynamic enough product on on the tracks. Okay, I guess you can say that. Uh, we could also say that the marketing has not been good enough, blah, blah, blah. But there's not just, you could, I'm sure there's a certain entity uh, amount of people up there that, that are blaming Chevy and Honda. It's, oh, this is great for their, for, their, for their brand. They should go ahead and do it. Unfortunately, there's just not one person or one entity you can, can blame. It's a perfect storm of, of things that in the end comes down to one thing. The fact that you don't have a third engine partner and none that are on immediately on the horizon. I bet if you if you had somebody commit, if you had somebody right now ha- having committed, even if to 2025 or something, I would imagine IndyCar would push the, the engine formula back to 25 and Honda and Chevy would be like, yeah, let's go. But with nobody locked in and seemingly nobody on the horizon right now, it's just not a financial loss that either of those OEMs are willing to take. And let's be honest, 
right now they are taking a financial yeah, loss they're, already. They're already so, losing lots of money on this. Look, the full season engine lease, approximately $1.3 million per engine, you know, per car. As far well, per per team. Per team. Per, per team car. Yeah, per lease. So yeah. and they're losing money on that. And the good news on all of this is that uh, Pruitt's reporting that the testing for the hybrid unit is actually gone positive. They they had already done engine tests for these 2.4 liter engines. That, right. That's the real downside. That sucks. They, these OEMs are already pumped millions of dollars into research and technology yes. and development into this. And they're eating that money. And just remember this, is both Honda and Chevy lose a lot of money doing IndyCar, but they see it as still benefiting the brand. Whether well, they, that's, they see the Indy 500, whether, still benefiting whether that's the, the brand. Indy 500, whether that's uh, Indy 500 is number one, obviously, but whether it's 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 whatever. But the moment that either of those OEMs decide that we're not getting proper ROI in the millions of dollars we're losing, then they'll be done. And that's what IndyCar is terrified of every single day: is that one of those engine partners is going to up and leave, and then you're in deep trouble. Because some people will say, well, Honda did it, they, they, but this is a different world with those engines much more pricier and not as much money flowing out of these car companies to back these motor racing series and efforts. It would be a disaster. And, and IndyCar, much like having to subsidize their teams with the winner circle, would have to pay the one OEM left to basically supply all the engines. And that would be a monumental amount of money. So again, no new engines, still a hybrid unit, hopefully with the added weight. I mean, you just, you hope it doesn't slow the cars yeah. down considerably. Uh, they're going to lose some weight on the aero screen, but we'll see how that plays out uh, coming 2024. It costs a lot of money to make a new chassis, but not as much money to subsidize the entire series with engine leases for sure. And the argument too, and I'll touch on it real quick, is car count and everybody was very terrified about losing cars because we're at what 26 27 right mm-hmm. now full-time cars i don't want this to sound like callous or that i want teams to go away but you could trim five or six drivers from this series and lose nothing in terms of excitement in terms of driver's ability to win i'm not saying there's there's moving chicanes and stuff but there are back markers out there and sometimes it's more teams than drivers. And I don't think we need to start throwing names of teams out there because everybody's going to have their opinions, but I know we can narrow it down and say if when you look at the full-time full-time drivers from last year, you can cross off five or six that if they weren't in the series racing every week, you would lose nothing on track. So I'm not I'm not glued to this car count like everybody else is, and oh my God, we can't go back to 22 because I'm not sure you're losing much if you go back to 22. But that's not a good enough argument to say, screw it, Honda and Chevy need to invest in these 2.4 liter engines and lose five cars because it does in the end work in terms of economics and the more teams, the better in the sport. Plus, it brings a very, very big problem for the month of May. Yeah, you're not getting to 33 with how this was going to be set up. And that... That ultimately is the biggest issue in all of this. All of this is revolved. If people want to say the crux of the issue is a third OEM, but the real crux of the issue is eyes on product or lack thereof. If you had more people eyes on product, because we broke it down earlier in terms of 
technology that can go across IndyCar and on streetcars is not very much. So what do you need to drive the the investment? Eyes on product, similar to Formula One. It would drive up revenue. It would drive up interest in terms of OEMs. It would drive up interest in terms of venues and tracks. It would drive up interested teams. It would drive everything up. The key metric is eyes on product, is the amount of people watching IndyCar races or now IndyCar series or buying the video game if that ever happens. That, those, that <laughs> is the huge, huge metric that is the, that is the tipping point or the catalyst for everything in IndyCar, including a third OEM, is how many people are watching your sport. Moving on, an announcement on the driver's side this week. Marcus Armstrong, uh, F2 driver, will be the driver of the number 11 Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing just at the road and street course races. This was a name that had been heavily linked to several of the open rides this offseason. A guy had been interested in IndyCar and coming over. Not a surprise he got a ride. I think maybe a, a slight surprise he got the Ganassi ride. So two Kiwis on the same team with Armstrong and Scott Dixon. Uh, he brings considerable experience from F2, uh, racing there the past three seasons. He had three wins this year, a win the previous season, finished 13th in points all three years. Uh, this this is interesting. I mean, he's a young talent, just 22 years old. Seemed like he'd kind of peaked in F2 and uh, the route to F1, it, that door had closed. And he said he could have returned to F2 again. But at this point, like, what's the point? Yeah, after right? three years, what's... So this is a, another rookie to the series. Benjamin Peterson, the other confirmed rookie so far. We could have potentially one more. And another seat filled as far as who will drive the car on ovals. The obvious answer was Ryan Hunter because he is a Ganassi development driver. Um, but Takuma Sato also to be in negotiations for the seat. Sato, remember, is not locked in at, at coin with the Rick Ware racing entry for next year. There's been talk of him doing ovals only for coin. Perhaps he could do ovals only with Ganassi. And if so, that would be a formidable lineup for the month of May, perhaps the best in the entire field. It definitely would. And now Takuma Sato, Caleb has won two Indianapolis 500s. Yes. Thank you. Two. Yep. No problem. Scott Dixon won and Marcus Erickson won. And then you add uh, with Alex Pillow in there, zero, but we expect him to win one at some point and then bringing in Marcus Her- or Marcus Armstrong. But for Marcus Armstrong, do you feel like Chip Ganassi is looking for the next Alex Pillow? It's a different route that Marcus Armstrong took, but a guy from a talent rich in terms of a series and potential and looking to replace Alex Pillow after this season with potentially a, another hotshot young driver. I just think it's, we know he has some budget, obviously, but it seems like one of those Give him a chance. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, last time we had a rookie with Chip Ganassi Racing would have been going back to what Charlie Kimmel in 2011. Oh wow, that long is that? Is that right? I mean, that part I think is fascinating to me that he's hired a rookie driver. Now having the pedigree coming from F2, it's not like he's going to be out of his depth as far yeah. as driving the car. There'll be a little bit of adjustment, but I, I think this is a guy who has talent. What will he do as a rookie on a top team? That is the question mark, and that is the thing I think will be fascinating to see this year. 
Well, and I feel like his first year, could he be a guy that just gets his feet wet and does the road and streets and then looks in 2024 to add all of the races? I correct myself. I guess Jimmy Johnson, obviously, was the rookie in 2021. True. And Felix Rosenquist in 2019. So way off. Way off. But anyway, I don't know if expectations are necessarily high for Marcus Armstrong in his first year. You look at what Scott McLaughlin did in his first year, and, and that's a similar situation because we, we see Roger Penske doesn't hire too many rookies. Chip Ganassi doesn't hire too many rookies. So him... It's not a straight ride by. I know he brings some money, but I don't think it's a straight up ride by for Marcus Armstrong. And Chip Ganassi sees something in him that he likes. I just hope it's not a case of where he gets uh, one year and then is cast aside because, much like we saw with Scott McLaughlin, Marcus Erickson, even uh, Felix Rosenquist, needed a year, even two years of seasoning before uh, things really fell into place. Yeah, I I hope he gets more than one year. I haven't seen anything say that it was more than just a one-year deal. That's the part that I find curious about it. As far as the oval driver for the five oval races, uh, MarshallPruittRacer.com says they could have something to announce before the end of this month. So could have have that essentially before Christmas uh, because I think we won't have anything really announced after that point. But as far as what's left, obviously the 51 Honda, Dale Coy Racing with Rick Ware Racing. Hunko's Hollinger's number 78 car as well. As far as full-time or at least near full-time entries, that's it. I mean, we're nearing a full grid already here in In, early December. Yeah, pretty wild, right? We're going to have this thing set potentially by Christmas. And then what are we going to talk about for two months? Uh, I mean, you have the thermal club test. You'll have a streaming series. You'll have... I know. I'm just kidding. Usually, yeah. that's that's when, when in doubt, we can talk about who's filling cars, but we may not have that here. Indy 500 soon. entries. Very true. There's still plenty, but I mean, Random those are the two driver of the weeks. Yes, those are the two seats that we know, as far as full season, that we expect to be full season that are available. The Hunko's car, obviously the the oval entry, and then the second coin car. That that's it. That's where we're at. It's crazy. This is the grid and, it, and it's nearly full. These are positive. I guess that's another positive yeah. thing that we maybe kind of underplay is that past couple off seasons, we've had most of the grid filled. I mean, you can go back in the day. Dale Coin Racing was TBA the week of the race. <laughs> and right. The driver would show up in one of the entries. And I think we have a favorite for Hunkos. It's uh, it's who, who ran it in Argentina, the Argentinian driver. We feel like he's kind of in the lead for... Or that seat, and then where do we think we're leaning with that coin seat? We, we felt I, it was Sato for a hot yeah, minute. We, but we felt it was Sato. Now it's, it could be. I mean, it, it, do they find a way to get Lundquist full season? God, I'd hope so. It, you would at hope. least give him some races. Yeah, give him something beyond just the Indy 500. Give him something to do, and you, you know, best case scenario, what if they ran that entry and, and split it? Is that a possibility? If you could find another couple of ride buyers or guys with, with budget, maybe you combine them all together and just have a musical chairs of that seat. It just doesn't seem like there are guys out there with budget right now. Armstrong was kind of the one guy that everyone was vying for, but But I don't think Coin necessarily has to have a complete ride by for the seat anyway, no. because funding has been in place for the other car. So mm-hmm. 
Um, they may have some 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 uh, ability to hire, and I would look. I would hope uh, Linus Lundqvist gets something. And we've already called called uh, talked about that ad nauseum. But he's a guy that deserves it. At least give him something in that coin seat. Maybe he works out something for for May or or something. At least give him a couple races um, with his scholarship money, as little as it is. Yeah, I think that's the next thing to fall, and then uh, that wraps up as far as the the major stuff for this week. We have plenty of things and news and notes uh, to get to. If you like what you hear so far, we'd love for you to interact with us and be uh, more a part of the show. You can find us newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It's free. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements that we make. Plus, check out the store. If uh, you're a fan of the podcast or know someone who's a fan, we have t-shirts and stickers for sale. Great Christmas gifts for you. You get all on the store page at newtrackrecordpodcast.com. Also, you can find us on social media, our Twitter and Instagram handle. It's IndyCar Podcast, plain and simple. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Uh, Patreon, we're on there as well. Thanks to our supporters, Xavier, Rob, and others for their support. Patreon.com slash New Track Record. You can become a supporter for as little as a buck a month. Yes, just $1 a month to be a supporter. And you can always find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Overcast, CastBox, etc. And listen each and every week all for free. All right, mailbag time. And we have a lot to get to this week, Justin. Yes, bring it on. So we start off going way back. I, I mean, we really, we really kind of covered a lot of ground. And I mean, it's good to have a lot of news, but it's also surprising to have a lot of news in early December because some of the stuff has gone down. I mean, it's like, well, who who would have thunk it, right? So we thought it'd be quiet in December, yes, right? We absolutely thought that. So going all the way back, so some replies, Jamie Chadwick, as we slipped in on last week's episode that broke as we were recording last week to Andretti Autosport for Indy Lights, Indy Next, whatever you want to call it, DHL, the sponsor. But uh, DHL colors are looking real nice on an NXT card. Did that ever happen before? That from Poet Shevchenko. Not that we're aware of. Not at all. Run underscore Mark underscore run on Twitter. Wow, that's a huge pickup for the series. Excellent work. Yeah, I think that's it's a pretty big deal, obviously. Gives people, like you mentioned last week, Caleb, a, a rooting interest for a driver in Indy Lights. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the key takeaway there is you, you have a name person. Uh, Polishevchenko called a shot as far as the driver for Oval's picked Sato. So congrats hey, to hey. him. Uh, Phil underscore Barksdale said, Old Man Montoya. Chip Ganassi Racing, they replied, uh, a gif of Kevin from the office, I kept the secret so good. <laughs> so maybe it is Sato because we we didn't even have that as an option on the poll. Uh, Tyler underscore Allen said, I wonder if RHR is actually content doing what he's doing. He never seemed comfortable with ovals to begin with. I'd like to see Ganassi give Karam another go. I don't think it'll be Sage Karam. I, I've never gotten the impression that he was uncomfortable doing ovals. I mean, he won an Indy 500. I don't think so. I know that that's just me. I I never got that impression no. at all. Iowa ticket prices. We talked about that Ugh. in tickets on sale. It was quiet at first. Uh, Indy Oreo replying ticket prices got them all speechless. Yeah, no one was replying right away. But then uh, more and more 
uh, came in as far as on on that and people complaining about ticket prices. Plan Spade says, so what I'm hearing is that they want more money for the same experience and likely the same miserable conditions as last year. Hard pass, very hard pass. Well, something that Marshall Pruitt said, I believe in the mailbag, was promoters and, and Hy-Vee and all that, they felt like there would be more integration between music fans and and race fans they thought okay the music fans will come in and they they'll like the race and race fans will stick around for the concerts because they'll make it a weekend but that really didn't happen it was two almost completely different crowds that had to buy the ticket for the same event and either sit or hide through a race for the concert or watch the concert hide for the race and then come back for the next concert and you just didn't have that that dual fan base that kind of fell in love with the other after coming from for one. And I, I guess I'm not totally unsurprised about that. I'm not really. either. I mean, I, I really don't know. Like I, I just don't, IndyCar is not synonymous with a brand of, of music. Like if you put NASCAR, NASCAR and, and country. country music is a lot of overlap between NASCAR fans and country music fans, right? Yes. IndyCar doesn't have that one kind of connection that cup has no no i think that's something i mean we know but i, I guess it, the promoters it's a lot harder to judge it. and again it's iowa in july it's what can you outside. say <laughs> what yeah. can you say about it it's iowa yeah. in july what do you want what do you want from us nk harden says regarding the uh, engine news so once again indycar is a series where nothing ever happens next year but everything happens in two years I hope that's not the case, but it's felt that way. Uh, replies on the engine stuff. Some more responses. Uh, Daniel SEM 2004. Still nothing less than an unmitigated disaster for IndyCar. You posted this. Describe the IndyCar offseason so far in one GIF. Uh, plenty to get to here. NK Harden. Uh, here we go again. Uh-huh. Yeah. This was admittedly before the news about the streaming series or the the scripted series unscripted series whatever we're calling it and the investment into the marketing uh nick yeoman of any car radio said the sky is falling it's a gif yeah it's not always (laughs) that bad i i would agree no but it's Uh, never always that good either the roth said uh the this is fine gif and everything burning yes that's (laughs) that's a good one 500 indy 1911 just ace ventura kind of patiently chewing angrily yeah that's when he's uh when he's spying on lois einhorn and he's pumping all the gum <laughs> in his mouth because he kissed lois einhorn and she's a man it's good I, comedy i i knew you would knew the, know <laughs> the exact specific i mean i've seen those multiple times but i couldn't remember the exact specific reference of that uh bauer racing how are you two better at social media than indycar uh well you're you're flattering us i don't know that we are but we're we just try to have fun with it it doesn't take much it's just you have fun with it yeah don't overthink it don't take yourself so, so seriously. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Polichevchenko says, I don't have a suitable gift yet, but until then, this picture from the love bug showing yet another thing fans were looking forward to was taken away. And it's Douglas Carr will not run at Indy out on technicality. <laughs> I thought that was pretty witty. Yes. I thought that was funny as well. Uh, 500 Indy 1911 posted this poll. I thought it was really interesting. He tagged us on it, but it's a, it's a great question. You can only have one new chassis, thousand horsepower, two point four liter hybrid, third OEM, forty cars for thirty three spots. You want to guess the winner? OEM. Yes, 
And it's the should and, be the and, clear and winner. And it beat out the 40 cars for 33. It's close, 31% to nearly 29. You're not getting 40 cars for 33 spots with two OEMs. Correct. So you have to have that third for that. Yes. It's still a fascinating poll, and it's one of those kind of ongoing questions you have. All right. Comments on the streaming series. All over the place. Arkel said, it's a Christmas miracle. Nick J. Fletcher tagged Gene Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, N.K. Harden said, I feel like I heard some people calling for stuff like this for a while now. Any idea who those guys might have been? Yeah, n- no idea. No clue. No clue. But they're right again. Vicky Lynn 26 says, fingers crossed that it's not all just talk. We really need this. Yeah. Um, also, Jeremy from HBG says, we've hired some sign spinner guys and bought a few wacky inflatable arm waving tubemen and a 12 year old that says he can code. <laughs> yeah, we were laughing pretty good this morning when you told me uh, that one. IndyCar DJ32 said, is this for real? And then uh, said, ugh, that's awful. Not on Netflix, not on Peacock, which is their TV partner. And wait for them to grow significantly with this. Who watches the CW app? Well, again, it'll be on CW TV. Yeah, that's different. I I originally thought it was CW app too. The Peacock doesn't make sense because you're already on Peacock with yeah. all your stuff. Netflix is a pipe dream because Netflix pumps billions of dollars into programming that they are hoping people watch. And I can guarantee you that IndyCar is very, very low on the totem pole. If you want to be on Netflix, you'd probably be paying Netflix if you're IndyCar. So not ideal on where it's where it's at, but it could be worse. When I thought it was initially CW app, that was the sky is falling moment for me. But the fact that it's going to be over the air CW, hopefully it's in a consistent time slot. And then also on Vice, which does a really good job with their uh, their documentary series that they have on there. It's not as bad as initially I thought, and hopefully people can see maybe the, the the positives now. Bingles DFW on Twitter says, "Hate it right now, but who am I kidding? I'm gonna watch every dang second of it and love it." Uh, Racer Mac RTP one says, "Sorry, I'm a realist. Don't expect a rating that'll make everyone smile. This isn't about the ratings, though. I guess. Well, uh, it needs to be enough eyes on product to make it worth doing it again, or worth that they feel like they got their." Um, their money's worth so to speak or so they want people watching this do they need two million do they need five million i don't know what the number is but they want people watching it and then becoming fans of the sport if it does that if it gets some new uh fans to the sport to watch the sport and and be invested in what happens with the drivers and the cars and the tracks then mission accomplished hunter's way 67 it's a start at least i'd be more excited if it was on netflix or prime though i mean i get that but it just never felt like a reality. Jeremy from HBG says, uh, I hate when I missed the Stargirl episode. <laughs> that was a <laughs> CW show. Yeah, that's uh, another one to, to know. And also this from Plan Spades, since this question a bit more long form, um, if you have a longer question that doesn't fit in the Twitter character limit, you can always DM us or you can email us new track record podcast at gmail.com for more long form type stuff. But um what do you make of the seemingly growing apathy and negativity coming from the fan base, especially after today's announcement? No new engines, just a hybrid. There's a feeling of apathy and discontent that I've not seen before. I was eight when the split ended, mind you. I'm just worried the series may have missed the mark on growing the fan base in series. Thoughts? Well, well you're a young pup. Yeah. And so, trust me, this this is kind of apathy or discontent has been around for quite some time. And... I think there's two segments to it. I think there's people that are never going to be satisfied that probably in their minds still think that this can IndyCar can be returned to the glory days. And that's just not, not possible, no. not realistic. And there's also people I think that um, 
just aren't satisfied with whatever happens. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity in the IndyCar fan base. And I don't know if that's just people online, like on social media, or because if that's it, a reality it, as a whole. And I think it breeds negativity, too. We've always, we, We've all had that person in our lives that was just so negative, and maybe we didn't realize it until... We are, we're away from it or yeah. kind of that all of a sudden you weren't as negative about things. Right. And it, negativity breeds negativity and trust us. We, we love to be negative at times here, but when you're incessantly like that, it can have an effect on others and their uh, thoughts on a subject or, or anything. And I think that's really what we see when you go down the, uh, the minefield that is Twitter or the comments on stories or whatever is there's just a lot of negativity in there. And it, it really, really rubs off on people and then it just continues to build and taking yourself out of that and only listening to our podcast is a great way to <laughs> prevent yourself from being, um, spiraled into that, 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 uh, that drain of negativity. Lay Look off, lay off the message boards, lay Reddit, off the Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, you know, fan groups, all that stuff. There's four words that you can live by that will help your life and your quality of life exponentially. Don't read the comments. Yeah. The racer.com <laughs> comment section. Don't do it. I make the mistake of reading that on stories from time to time. And then I'm like, and you know Why what? did I do this? But it makes you negative about stuff. Like yeah. to me, honestly, I, I went there today to read the story about the announcement with the CW. And then I started perusing the comments and it just reinforced my negativity about something instead of thinking objectively and saying, what do I truly think? Am I thinking this because somebody else said it or is this how I really truly feel? And I think that's what people fall into is you read those negative comments and then you take a negative spin on things and then you project that negativity and then it affects somebody else and it continues to go and to go. So don't read the comments. Just listen to the podcast. That's right. Okay, that wraps up the mailbag this week. Thanks for everyone's submissions. Time for news and notes. Let's rattle through a few things. First off, the perhaps most noteworthy thing for IndyCar, American Legion extension with Chip Ganassi Racing. Adam Stern reports $4.5 million annually through 2025 for nice the deal. They'll have other sources to... to fill out the sponsorship as well, but they're also going to be featured, I believe on Marcus Erickson's car, Kiffin Simpson and Indy next as well. So that partnership continues, but they will be on Pelot's car for next season. The, the main primary sponsor that coming after NTT data moves from Ganassi to Aaron McLaren SP. So good news there. Andretti Autosport had the ground bit breaking for their new shop in Fishers, Indiana. The scale of this thing is massive. $200 million. It's 525,000 square feet. I think the most exciting part about this, and I know they talked about F1 and Andretti Global because it's Andretti Global. Yes. It's the HQ for Andretti Global and, and that that new brand they want to have for F1. But over half a million square feet, $200 million. The coolest part, though, they're going to have a restaurant in the facility with recipes from the Andretti family. You're going to have a chef that'll go to Italy and kind of like fine tune stuff. That, that's the part that I'm excited about. I want to, I just want to go to the restaurant. I just want to eat a, a literally um, actual Italian food, like authentic Italian yes. food. F1 expansion answer. Uh, Michael Andretti says they're getting close. They, they hope it could come in the next few weeks. Okay. Stay tuned. 
We've been waiting since what, October? Is it more likely right now that they start a team or buy into a team? I, I think they have the investors. So the other revelation is that Guggenheim Partners would be is one of the other investors. Uh, Guggenheim's in have money. Yes. So the, the shop was inspired by the Guggenheim Museum. Um, they didn't go into specifics about what they've done as far as FIA, FOM, trying to get things together, but it seems like this new partnership, Guggenheim owns the Dodgers. Um, and they're throwing around They money. own Chelsea FC in the Premier League. That's not cheap. So that's a pretty key investor. Mark Walter, CEO of Guggenheim Partners, uh, was, was there. Uh, also, Dan Taurus of what Gamebridge, right? He's kind of yeah. the other power player behind this. So that's how they were able to kind of move forward. They have the investors. That part is clear. The, the money's not the issue. And they've said all along the money wasn't the issue. They and just now need they to go ahead from the FIA. Easier said than done. Yeah. So we shall see what becomes of it, but looks cool. It's going to have a, it'll have a cool spot, be very accessible. It's like right by the Indy, what is it? Executive airport, I believe is the name of it. It's like okay. right by there. Also off the nickel plate trail, which is like a new thing oh, they're yeah. developing from the old, it would have been the old state fair train line. Uh, oh, if you okay. ever, ever ridden yeah, that or ever aware of that, uh-huh. I did that once. It was fun. Um, so th- this is, they're, they're betting on this. They're trying to. Get to F1. The, the shop, as far as the funding, yeah, I don't think that's an issue with what they've done. But we'll see what becomes of it. But at least we kind of have more insight as to where the funding is coming from. And you mentioned it, too, in, in terms of putting this into perspective. The scale of this building is, what, four, four and a half times as big as the new Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan? The, the price... So Ray Hall's new shop is like $20 million, This is 10 times feet, as much And this costs $200 million and it's 575,000 square. It's going to be so it's more than double. Absolutely crazy. Yes, massive. Massive facility, but also it's not just an IndyCar team, it's IndyCar, it's Indy Next, it's Extreme E, it's I'm sure they'll go back into sports, sports cars. cars. F1 was their their goal and that yeah. would have the space to build F1 cars starting for the 2026 season. So, very nice. It's cool. I hope it works. We'll call our buddy Michael up, see if we can get a tour. Yeah. I want to eat at the restaurant. You can go look at the fancy cars. I'm just going to eat. Yeah, I, I want to eat at the restaurant, too. That's <laughs> what I'm excited about the most out of all this. I, I get that they could be building F1 cars eventually. I just want to try the Andretti family recipes. Yeah, right. Because uh, the food in Andretti hospitality, I had it once. It's really good. Is it? Really good. Can't so, confirm. It's it's So it's not just Fazoli's is what you're no. saying. No. <laughs> okay. Absolutely not. Not Fazoli's, not Olive Garden. Really good stuff. Awesome. Moving on, news and notes. A uh, r- couple drivers announced for the Daytona Rolex 24. Renus VK will be at the LMP2 squad TDS racing. Also, uh, Roman Grosjean will make his Rolex 24 debut next month. He's been named a Lamborghini factory driver. And he'll debut with uh, Iron Lynx as a, a team in GT3. I believe so. It'll be a part part of that as well. Plus, Bus Bros, they're reuniting for a, a drive as well. New Garden, Scott McLaughlin, 
will be with Tower Motorsports and Kiffin Simpson, John Ferrano as part of a, a team as well for the Rolex 24. So congrats to them. And Scott Dixon. He'll be with Chip Ganassi racing for the Rolex 24 in their Cadillac, uh, one of their Cadillac entries as well. None, none of these are surprises, but it's good to see plenty of IndyCar representation. It makes me interested, to be honest, in that event. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's really kind of the unofficial kickoff to the motorsports calendar year, really, is the Rolex 24. Other notes to get to. This is uh, interesting. Ray Hall, Lennerman, Landing, and Team President Pierce Phillips parted ways with the team. Racer.com with the article there. Hmm. And IMS Museum, in fact, they just unveiled this tonight as we record on Thursday, December 8th. They have published their first book on Indianapolis 500 winning cars. Epic dramas. It's like a, a pictorial book. It's uh, The photographs look cool. amazing that I've seen pictures of. Dario Franchitti inducted into the Scottish Sports Hall of Fame. Congrats to Dario. Hard to believe that hadn't already yeah, happened. Yeah, really? And then this part, uh, thanks to Arnie Shribben of IndyCar pointing this out, but I have not heard of this driver, but obviously someone to keep an eye on. But Kaylee Ray Bryson. She She's is a, a USAC driver. Yes. She? And she'll take on the full USAC and Silver Crown Series on dirt and pavement in 2023. But the release has something that, that Arnie pointed out. As she progresses through testing and team placement for IndyCar or NASCAR platforms during the 2023 racing season and beyond. Huh. So something I mean, to keep an it, eye on. I don't know. Is it, is it thrown in there for by somebody, a communications person writing the press release to make it sound like naturally she's trying to progress there? Or is something actually concrete there? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, I... I don't know. Again, I don't know if there's more to it than that, but it's interesting, right? I mean, you want to create buzz for your driver. Sure. Maybe that's a way to create buzz, or maybe they're working on a d- true development deal. Maybe. We shall see. All right. That wraps it up. Time for Random Split Air Driver of the Week. All right. We're going back to the IRL this week, and we're going with a Japanese driver that you have heard of. Oh, yes. And I have not heard of Mr. Hideki Noda. And what can you tell us about Mr. Noda, Caleb? Okay, so he actually did compete in a couple of Formula One races in 1994 with Tortel LaRousse F1, uh, retired in all three, uh, Japan, uh, also Australia, and then... um, uh, circuit in Jerez, Spain. So the last three races of the 94 season, retired in all three, didn't score any points. But then in Indy Lights, he competed 96 and 97 seasons, won a race in 1997 at Portland, finished ninth that season, 14th and 96. And then the IRL took him a few years to come back, but Convergent Racing, he did a couple of races to start the season. Homestead, Phoenix, Fontana, 10th at Phoenix, 23rd at Homestead. Fontana was 25th, and then Indy Regency Racing, same season, different team, 2002, 17th at St. Louis, 24th, Chicagoland, Texas 2, 27th. That's it. He competed in JGTC Super GT 
in Japan, 98 all the way through 2006 every season. Uh, he did miss 2004, and then came back in 2012 to run a couple of races and a couple of 24-hour Le Mans, uh, 2008, 9, and 10. And then uh, Japanese Formula 3000, done a handful of seasons in that as well, but uh, I haven't really done anything the last several years. Uh, his daughter, Juju, uh, competed in the W Series. So that's a really is Juju Noda. Yes. I okay. did not realize this, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the more recent tie-in as well. He became the only Japanese driver to win a cart-sanctioned event by winning in Indy Lights. Yeah, that one race in Portland. So that's also interesting as well. Look, one of a handful of Japanese drivers at the time. He did compete in A1 Grand Prix as well, but that's uh, that's kind of the latest on him. And you remember him racing in the IRL? I remember the name, yeah, in 2002. So, like, I was locked in to the IRL in 2002. Were you? Yes. Were you the only person locked in to the no. IRL? No, I mean, like, I, I, I remember <laughs> I know, <laughs> following and watching races on TV, but that was, like, the first time I really can, like, recall being locked in because... Schechter would have been my favorite driver. He was a rookie that year for Red Bull Achiever Racing in 2002. Yeah, yeah. So I was locked in the IRL that year. I think the year before I was followed Cartmore because I, I liked, uh, I'm trying to think. I think it would have been Kenny Brack in the shell car with Ray Hall. Yeah. Cool looking car is one of my favorites. So just rooted for that driver. You know, as you're a kid, you're like, oh, that car looks cool. That's yeah, my favorite driver. Yeah, you know, it's uh, kind of like rooting for mascots. Yeah. It's oh, like, oh, cool. the Red Bull cars look cool. Yeah, I'll root for them. So it, it did not take much. But uh, Hideki Noda won a, a lights race. Not many people can say that in terms of our random split era drivers of the week also appeared in some Formula One Grand Prix. Is that Grands Prix? That's how you say it? Yeah, Grands, Grands, Grands Prix. Grands Prix. Grands Prix. And then the uh, couple races in 2002. This week's random split era driver of the week, Mr. Hideki Noda. All right. That wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week. More announcements, I'm sure. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.